You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hello there and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith. This is the Comedian's Comedian podcast and my guest today is the effervescent and very, very funny Michelle Brazier. Um, you might know Michelle from her incredible one-woman shows, including Average Bear, which was nominated for almost every comedy award going. Um, and you might also know her as one of the boys from Auntie Donna, um, with whom she cut her... Did she cut her teeth? No, I think we'll go on to discuss in this episode that she didn't become a sort of creative force of chaotic, offer-driven comedy energy uh, with Auntie Donna. But they are certainly cut from the same cloth. And she went on to uh, to work with them in some very, very memorable sketches, live tours, podcasts and all of that kind of stuff. But my point, you understand my point, right? She's not Michelle Brazier from Auntie Donna. She's Michelle Brazier from her own incredible oeuvre. And we're going to get into talking about loads of it. I, I am still kind of a bit uh, uh, whatever the phrase is I'm a bit uh, energised as a result of this conversation which took place unusually for the recording of these blurbs only a few hours ago we're going to talk about her new show at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival that's Legacy which will have been running for a week or so by the time you hear this I hope you go and see that tickets at michellebrazer.com slash tour um, and we're going to talk about why drama school rejects have all the fun uh, we're going to talk about memorably we're going to talk about um, uh, what sorts of things she was scared would get picked up on uh, in a show that she was going to see soon which is a parody of one woman shows that is a rich seam of stuff Um, and we're going to talk about uh, her unique perspective on clowning and chaos main character syndrome where she is right now in the fraud cycle wonderful phrasing um, and all of that kind of stuff so listen we'll get stuck straight in comedianscomedian.com slash insiders you can go there for 15 minutes of extra content from this episode including Michelle on her interactions with strangers after Average Bear and, and the kind of emotional gut punch that the show delivered plus some extra Donna stuff um, all of that from comedianscomedian.com slash insiders but here is Michelle Brazier Thank you so much for coming to the show, and thanks for thanks for asking to be on the show, Michelle. Because you, it was a really good uh, your approach. I never opened like this; this is ridiculous. But this, it was a really good <laughs> approach. I was like, oh, this is a really good message. If I say this on the show now, I'll start getting lots of these. But it was a really good, casual, friendly message, full of proof elements that I was like. 
I don't think I've heard of Michelle. Oh, Michelle from Auntie Donna. Oh, hang on. Yes, I've heard of double denim. Oh, you're doing so. Do you know what I mean? And I and it steered me carefully <laughs> down the path of discovering the the you that is you. Because I know what it's like to get lots of messages from people who don't give you any context for who they are and mm-hmm. you know why it might be safe to speak to them. But you know, because you can't just open and go, "Hi, I, I'd love to come on the podcast." If you don't know who I am, Google it. Like you have to be like, sure. people yeah. do do that. <laughs> okay, that's rude and awful. But everyone's just been, for so long, people have been like, "You should go on that podcast," and I've been like, "Well, I can't." do anything about that and then I was like oh there's something I can do about that probably. Like, <laughs> I hate going through managers and things I find it uncomfortable so yes we will we will in a moment set you up for who you are and I've seen both of those shows you sent me I thought they were fantastic I can't wait to get into those I think you're really uh it, you're you're the two key things for me which is funny and interesting and uh it, you know what I mean Thanks. like I, I'm really excited to talk to you the first thing I want to say I, I want to set that up first so that I don't open with this which is what I want to open which is I think that, that what that what that message said to me and what your shows say to me and what your kind of presence online say to me is that you know what the fuck you're doing. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? You seem to be navigating stuff in a way that's like, oh, she's done that at the right time. And that's an interesting way of doing that and framing that. Is Am I onto something there? Does that reflect a, a, a truth about you? Or are you like, oh, I'm just fudging it, mate. Oh, I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. No, I think I am very deliberate. I care about like doing things on purpose. And I, I don't think that we should, we all have to pretend that because we're funny, we're, you know, useless or falling down all the time. Like, obviously, I fall down all the time. But you have, you have, we're running a business. And I think you, you should be proud of that, especially if you're a woman. It's so easy to just be like, oh, I don't know. It's like, that's boring. I'm, it's not boring, but it's just not who I am. Yes. Tell me about, let's start with that bit of you then, because no one's ever said we're running a business. <laughs> and here we are. <laughs> Loads of them have demonstrated it. And uh, I have, I've kind of gleaned it from others who, like you say, there is a lot in comedy, as we know, there's a lot of like, oh, I do, oh it all just happened to me. Oh, I don't, oh, I don't, oh, really? Am I on TV now? You know, there's, there's <laughs> people, people affect that. And I, I'm excited that you don't affect, you don't kind of contrive that. So have you always been like that? Have you always been quite deliberate or is that something that you've grown into? I think I have. Yes, I think. Well, I so I was a bit of an underdog in high school. I mean, I came from a small town and I was, you know, the third best singer and the third best actor. And all my friends were really pretty and I hadn't grown into my face yet. And I think that. But I really believed in myself. So I had this kind of drive to just be like, just give me a go. I promise it'll be good. I know that you think that I'm this, but I promise you that I'm not. I'm this other thing and I can do that. And so I think just learning how to do that when I was really young set me up to be this. And I always wanted to be an actor and a singer, like a a, a funny actor, but I always wanted to do that. And I was like, okay, well, how do I do that if I can't get in, if I can't get the auditions, if I can't get into exactly what I want to do straight away I I can see that there are people who've come in for through the side door I might be funny enough to get in through that side door so let's see what happens I've been very specific with my choices I suppose I'm we're putting a pin in being specific with your choices I want to are good to come back to I want to ask what was your evidence for that at the time? If you had, like, you were third best, right? Which is, it's not best, but it's pretty good. It's like out of a class of however many, like you had enough, like there was enough evidence for you to go, put me in, I'll do a great job. When yeah. you, when they then put you in, did you then do a great job? Yeah, I think I did. And, I've, you know, I'm not always amazing at something when I try it, but I'm always willing to try it 
and then learn about it. And I'm always curious about it so that I can get better at it. Because I think um, it's it's so easy for me to be really arrogant about things and to just be like, oh, it's fine, I'll be I'll be good. But I just I really want to keep that bit of me that is like encouraging me to get better. And I think that's because I was, you know, under these two other girls in school who didn't love it as much as I loved it, but were really good at it and got things easier. And so I just went, oh, I'm never going to be that. I'm never going to make it look like it's so easy and like it just fell into place. But my examples at the time, I think my biggest one was Olivia Coleman. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So how do you know. mean your, how do you mean your examples? Well, I think, I mean, like looking at like, people and going, yeah. oh, you can be funny and then be like, oh, also I'm a really good actor in general. And like John C. Riley and people who were just being very silly for a long time. Yeah. And then we're allowed to do the thing that nobody would let them do because maybe they're a little bit different or they were surprising or they did too many things and that can be confusing. Okay. Were you a happy kid? I was a really happy kid. Yeah. I had a great childhood. I was really lucky. That's great. That's so great to hear. Yeah. <laughs> That's so great to hear. And I, because part of it, I suppose one of the hidden agendas who are less hidden these days of this podcast is... You, one of the like how, how you seem to be coping or not coping how do you cope and I think do you feel like that's the kind of platform for for you coping is having had a happy childhood do you feel like that's kind of a one of the structures I suppose what I'm looking for normally is people who are like oh, I consider myself broken things were awful and yet I fixed myself <laughs> whereas yeah. I, like with you is it like no 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 I I was happy I was given the nourishment and the the kind of the you know the the nurturing I mean um that I needed and that gave me a good base to then be brilliant and kind of blaze in the world. I think my parents believed in me. And I mean, we didn't have a lot of money or anything for me to go to a lot of like, you know, fancy schools or anything. I went to just a really normal um, state school and we weren't super rich, but we were, you know, I, I could have singing lessons and that was lovely. They supported me in every way they could. They didn't understand the industry. Um, they didn't know anyone who'd ever succeeded in the industry, but they liked my little hobby and they liked me and they liked seeing me happy. And I think I was just really lucky in that way. And I sort of had two sets of parents. My brother and sister are so much older than me um, that it was just like, now I have these two sets of parents and I've just come along at what should be my parents' retirement. Um, and everyone sort of sorted all their baggage out and they're just here for me. And that, that's what I, I guess that's why I, st I thought in, it would be interesting to write Average Bear because it's about losing a lot of my family. And the, all of that happened to this girl who was just thought the world was all roses, you know, because it had been. It had been just roses. Yeah. And you were, so I really, I really enjoyed Average Bear. Thank you for that. I saw the, I saw like a, a is it released yet on Paramount? Or did it I see? It is in Australia. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. But you okay. saw a, a sneaky screener. Was, I love seeing a sneaky screener. Um, <laughs> it's it's a great show. And you've just come back from doing it in, in London at the Soho Theatre. And has, yes. it been, has it been anywhere else? Have you been like on tour with it? Is it London, Australia? What's, what's the life cycle of that show at the moment? Yeah, so it's done uh, all, basically all of Australia, um, all the major cities in Australia, and it's done Edinburgh, and London was so special. Soho Theatre was a big dream for me, because, you know, I'm from Wagga Wagga. It's, it feels really big to do a show in London, and especially at Soho. I think I'm going to take it to the US, um, and then I think I'll probably retire it, because I've, you know, I've got two other shows now, and I need to, I need to let it rest for a bit. And, and tell me which, where does reform fit into that? That was the other one that, that you sent me that I saw, which I, I just loved. It's such a, um, 
Oh, well, we, we'll, we'll talk about it. But where does that like? Which is that? Which is the current one? What's like? And when you say you've got two other shows, is Reform one of those, or are there two other other ones? Yeah, so Reform was the follow up to Average Bear, and I think of these shows very much as a trilogy. Um, but Reform was, you know, th- this wonderful thing that fell into my lap, where I went, okay, I've got this show that's gone really well. I've proved myself. Now what? How am I going to ever, you know, deal with this second album syndrome? And then. I was <laughs> a blessing fell into my lap when I was scammed by a man online. So it's kind of nice. But then my latest show is called Legacy, which I'm about to open at Melbourne Comedy Festival in a few days. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah. How are you feeling about that? I'm feeling really good. I had a trial last night in Canberra, and that went really, really well. And it made it clicked in. You know, when it clicks in, and you go, "Oh, the show's good. Everything's fine. I'm not a fraud. I don't have to hide under the covers." You know that moment where you just go, yeah. "Oh, yep, yeah." And it feels, it feels good, and it feels exciting. I'm, I'm keen to do it now. And how long has it taken you to create that show? Because I've done all this, like, I've watched the shows, I've got loads of questions about Average Bear and about Reform, but obviously the place <laughs> you're in right now is a few days away from opening Legacy. So, yes. to, so which I haven't seen, I don't know anything about. Can you give me the kind of the, the blurb on that? What's, the, what's that show about? So Legacy is, I was uh, at a cinema and I had to pick up these tickets that were under my name and they were free tickets because it was my friend's event and I was surrounded um, by fans at the time because it was, you know, my friend's event who I work with a lot, Zach from Auntie Donna. Mm. And so I was sort of trying to be incognito and, and get my tickets, but there was only one person working and it was very difficult to not say my name a million times when they couldn't find the tickets because they kept asking me my name and I was trying to, you know, I had a hat on, I'm trying to be cool. Um, and then they couldn't find them I said oh they're complimentary tickets and then they went oh okay well that's a completely different place if they're free tickets I was like shush then they went to find the tickets they couldn't find the tickets but they did find and the cinema is called Lido Cinema and they found a Lido branded envelope with uh, Michelle Brazier and then some dollar signs written on the front and inside of it was not the tickets it was $10.50 in mostly coins and I asked them if that was how much a ticket costs and it was not and then I said okay well this isn't for me and I tried to give it back to them and they said we don't accept cash so <laughs> I embarked on a mission to find the other Michelle Brazier because I've never met a, another Michelle Brazier I've got all the ads on Instagram and everything like I don't you know no underscores for me there's no other Michelle Braziers as far as I knew so it's about trying to find this imposter and then exploring different versions of myself and who I could have been if I had made different decisions and then it sort of ultimately leads to the um the decision to not have children and and the decision of um deciding to have dogs instead ah i see that's okay so that's interesting that and that end element to it that children element to it is um yeah that's really in keeping with what i think of as a michelle brazier show do you know what I mean? Because one <laughs> so of the nice. like, well, yeah, because you like there is there's a kind of a, a big like presumably there are songs in the show in your yes. in your kind of idiom. You have a genuinely incredible voice. And Thanks. is your partner playing a guitar in the show as well? Is that part of your yes. format in the trilogy kind of format? OK, so you have this back like you've worked out how to do what you do. Right. So for those solo mm-hmm. shows, it's like when, when I first saw Average Bear, which is the first of the trilogy. Right. Just to, yes. just to get the timing clear. So I look at that and immediately I'm like, oh, this is well put together, right? You've got you Thanks. singing. You've got the voice of your partner who's kind of giving you the kind of the elements which need uh, uh, duologue. 
And mm-hmm. it's like, oh, well, she's probably done musical theatre. Oh, of course, you've done musical theatre. You've done theatre school. <laughs> you know, like you understand all these elements. But they all kind of serve the comic point of the show. The, the jokes in the show are good. The jokes in the, the songs are good jokes. I'm, I, oh, I promise I'm, so getting, nice. I'm getting to a point. <laughs> but no, that's a, that's a point re- enough. <laughs> well, what is something I really noticed with, with reform is that as you're telling the story of this... Um, of you being scammed by someone and the funny back and forth you're having with someone who's scamming with you and or is he scamming you and is he the vulnerable one and that kind of stuff. And it turns, obviously, as you know, it it kind of this other story emerges from it, which is less. I was sort of I finished watching it last night and I was really without wanting to kind of spoil it um, mm-hmm. for, for people who haven't seen it yet. Um, I was really intrigued and I really enjoyed the fact that what emerged from it wasn't plot it wasn't a plot twist so much as a sort of a perspective twist yeah and I think and and so when you when you talk about trying to find other Miss L braziers obviously in the UK we would call that doing a Dave Gorman like that is the you know that you're familiar with that kind of (laughs) that that is a a trodden path of finding people who have the same name with you and then the idea of like oh it's about it's actually about not to say that Dave's show wasn't about something but that was like a it was kind of about a fun voyage into wow there's this internet and how do we cope with it whereas I feel like what's emerging from yours is sort of oh it's about the idea of the self and as you say legacy and where it goes and what have you so I don't know if there's a question about that I'm just excited to go oh yes (laughs) she's doing that thing that she did in reform whereby it's like it's a completely (laughs) fun show on its own and then you go oh you clever bastard this all means something and has a deeper (laughs) do you know what I mean like with with reform and I I hope this isn't a, a spoiler to kind of talk about but the idea of wanting to you know how do we treat people who have sinned yeah like how do we you know how do we um, I'll try to choose my words carefully for people who haven't seen it in the hope that it also goes to Paramount Australia, which you may know and not be able to say. <laughs> but um, how do we treat people who have done something wrong? And you mention the king of the bin, Louis C.K., um, making bin <laughs> jokes to his bin followers, which is just, just sort of beautifully put. But what I like about it is it's not simply kind of it's not simply condemnation. It's kind of raising the idea of condemnation and finding out how we talk about it. So I guess the question is, is that with reform? And with the Michelle Brazier show, with the, the, sorry, with the, the Michelle Brazier show, aren't they all? <laughs> with Legacy, are those things emerging or are they the starting point? Those kind of those, like the perspective shift in, in reform. Was that like, I want to write about how we treat people or is it something you discovered when you were writing about this funny scam thing that fell into your lap and you thought, hey, this might make a good show? It's interesting. I think it's a little bit of both. So I would say that all three of these shows sit on this, um, these really fundamental parts of my personality. And I'm so interested in psychology and philosophy and um, whatever the, 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 you know, hope, the, the opposite of, of being a cynic. I really, I know there's so much room in, in comedy for cynicism because of course, you know, it's, it's easy to be funny if you're a cynic, but I think it's hard to be funny if you're hopeful um, because it's, it's easier to make yourself um, you're making yourself easier to laugh at maybe. And I just think um, I had this kind of philosophy and then this thing happened to me and I went, okay, I'm going to follow this rabbit hole. And I definitely, and I think I talk about it in reform. I say that, you know, I start to exploit what's happening to me as well because it, it yeah. suits my story. It suits the the philosophy that I want to push, um, sure. which is another and, and it suits thing. And it suits your requirements for needing a show. This is great. Yeah. Yeah. So with, with, I suppose with that in mind, how do you 
also navigate the the kind of I don't want to say cliches, but there are kind of tropes of a sort of post flea bag funny woman admitting her truth. I don't. Do you know what you're nodding? Because I'm glad you you understand where the thrust of this conversation is. You know what yeah, I mean? Like, how, yeah. how do you navigate that? Because of course, fantastically, there are now absolutely bundles of really funny women out there, and so I think for a long time, who said this on the show? There was someone said, I think it was Rialina who said on the show that she. And I'm not pinning this on on uh, every female comic by any means. She <laughs> said. Um, she said, oh, God, you know, sometimes now I'm on a bill with so many women. I think, oh, those poor white guys. How did they manage to stand out against all the other white guys? Do you know, <laughs> it's like, uh, <laughs> do you know what I mean? I'm, I'm, I'm obviously butchering the way she said it. But it was <laughs> yeah. quite an interesting thing. Like, it wouldn't be a question I could ask really 10 years ago because there wasn't the kind of the volume of brilliant, exceptional, unique female voices telling their stories. So I'm interested in how you navigate as you because you're such a skilled navigator how do you kind of navigate that that kind of like this is my truth this is my schooling this is where i'm coming from i did musical theater without kind of treading ground that has been trodden before uh, i think the combination of being from the country um and not taking myself seriously because of that and then also being able to you know having musical theater training and having been that that uh, in that world i think the clash of classes that i have been around and been in in my life maybe helps me to remember that i have to cater to both of those people in in my shows and so i find it um I, f- I often am thinking about the audience and, and, and where they're going. So whenever I start to write a show, I go, how do I want them to leave feeling and thinking? What do I want them to turn to their friend and squeeze their knee and say, blah, 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 blah. Like, what do I want that sentence to be? Um, do I want them to leave dancing, crying, singing, laughing? Like, what do I want? And then how do I make the people who are interested in me because they like theatre and there's a woman and she's storytelling and mer, mer, mer. and then the people who like <laughs> the people who come because they're like oh she's from Wagga and yeah she sings a song about fingering shed and how do you know how do I bring those people together and let them both you know trust me so I guess I'm just always trying to walk the tightrope between those two places and, the, and those two little levels of class I suppose but I also think I think it's helpful having Tim, my partner, on stage so that I'm not playing all the characters because I think that does make it feel different for an audience who might. Um, totally. You know, I, but but also, you know, I, do, I, I, love, I love a one-woman show. Like, I love a one-woman show. Um, speaking literally one-woman show, uh, Liz Kingsman's one-woman show. I, I haven't just seen it. All, to today. all I've heard is just incredible stuff about it and I still haven't yeah, seen it. Yeah, I, ju- I just bought tickets to, to it today. And, um, I mean, I'm scared I'm going to be red to filth, but I also don't I, mind. Like, that's I fine. Think, <laughs> I think that's where that's – I'm really glad you brought that up because I suppose that's kind of where I'm going. As, as you were answering that question in a very um, uh, comprehensive and pertinent way, I was thinking, <laughs> God, was that all right to have asked? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's like, do you know what I mean? Be- because – in, in my defence, not that anyone's asked for it, but I think 10 years ago I could have said to a male comic, how do you stand out from all the other male comics wearing jeans and T-shirts and talking about their dicks? And I would have asked that, and I'm sure I have on record somewhere. So I hope that didn't seem like a sexist question to go, how do you stand out from all the other women? But I suppose with, with which isn't precisely what I was asking, but 
I suppose with regard to that, you let's talk about that. I'm going to get read to filth by Liz Kingsman's <laughs> One Woman Show, which is a satire of women, post bag women doing one woman show, a uh, one woman yeah. shows. What are you most scared of? This is a good question. Pre having seen that show, without knowing Ooh. what she's going to do, what are you as a purveyor of brilliant one woman comedy shows that mean <laughs> something and speak to a shared experience? What are you scared she's going to pick up on and rip you for? I'm That's, scared. That might be one of the best questions I've ever asked on the podcast. <laughs> Don't you, you, I, God, I hope there's a good answer for this, Michelle Brazier. What are you going to get bullied for? <laughs> um, no, I think, I, I mean, I'm sure... And I, I haven't seen the show, so I don't know. But I'm sure that there's going to be a little jab at trying to put philosophy in your show. And mm-hmm. all of my shows are thinly veiled TED Talks. And I know that, but I don't want to be told it. But I, I feel like, you know, I feel like that's where I'm going to be like, God damn it. This one's just great, right? Right? You don't need me to tell you that five minutes in, I was thinking... Oh, this is a good one. Oh, this is a good one. So um, I'll let you get straight back to it. Um, I have now updated the link tree so you can find out where I've got the previews coming up between now and the Edinburgh Festival, at which point I will be uh, presenting Spoilers, my show, which was nominated for Best Show at the Leicester Comedy Festival. And hey, I've always said those guys know what they're talking about. Brief update from the future. I actually won the Leicester Comedy Award for Best Show. Hooray! So it might even be on sale by now. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and I'll tell you if it is via the medium of a website. Um, You can catch up with Michelle Brazier at michellebrazier.com. Of course you can. It's a great website and it's one of those ones where you go... Like everything with Michelle, you go, you've made really specific decisions about this and you've got great art and it's all built properly. If you're a comic and you're in the running for making a comedy website, I recommend hers because you go, ugh, quality. So check that out. Also, uh, there's a tour page in there. You can see her in uh, Melbourne Comedy Festival, Sydney Comedy Festival and Brisbane Comedy Festival over the next few months. And I recommend you do. And you can follow her on the socials, Twitter and Instagram. She is at Michelle Brazier. Remember, you can go to comedianscomedian.com slash insiders to support the show with a minimum donation of £2 a month or however much else you'd like to uh, uh, to pay. You can do that as well. You don't get anything extra, though, just because you're rich. Um, plus, you get ad-free episodes, extra content from all of the shows that have it and a non-specified much more. Um, so there's that. Yeah, anything else? Oh, 15 minutes of extras from this. Some some great stuff. She's got a great theory about why Auntie Donna are funny and why it works, like what the, exactly, like putting a name to that energy. Uh, and she'll also bring up doing some great clowning stuff with, among other people, uh, friend of the podcast, Zach Zucker. And I uh, slag him off at the mere mention of his name because I love him. So um, if you are... What was I going to say? Oh, kind of pre-Edinburgh stuff. We're getting in... Like, I know it's only March. Don't mean to put the fear of God into anyone who hasn't written their show yet, but I'm starting... I've still got... From last time, I've still got this kind of pre-Edinburgh little tickle on, and I'm starting to get really excited about it. So what I would like you to do, please, is help me root out those people who have a significant enough body of work behind them, right? Not debut shows at this stage. I'm certainly happy to go see debut stage. No, in fact, let's let's widen the parameters. People you think, you know me, right? You've listened to this for 10 years. Yeah, you know what I like. Tell me about the stuff I like that I have yet to get to, right? You're not allowed to recommend yourself. You're not allowed to recommend your best pals. But I am back in Edinburgh in force for the first time uh, this year for the whole month. And man, I'm going to see some stuff. So um, 
talking to Michelle just now has in particular and kind of gearing up towards Edinburgh myself has sort of got me in a kind of I need to know who the new people are I need to know who the new people are so I can watch them now so in five years I can go yeah I saw your debut show and here's how you've changed since then but I need to get back into knowing who's who so let me know who is who you can don't don't email me at this stage. I've got enough emails going on. But join the Facebook group. Join the ConCon Facebook group. We'll have a thread in there of people I should be getting across, uh, people across whose bodies of work I should be getting. Do what you want with that. Um, uh, in the Facebook group, let me know uh, who I should be seeing because I'm out of the loop. Get me back in the loop. This is operations. <laughs> Never mind. It's not everything needs an operation title. That's what I'm learning as I get older and wiser. Let's get back to Michelle. I'll chat to you after. Here she is. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Let's talk about the way in which your shows are thinly veiled TED Talks. Tell me what, <laughs> tell me what I think I know what you mean. But for someone, uh, yeah, just tell, tell me a little bit more about that. Expose yourself further, Michelle. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I think, you know, there's a really clear message. And I think it comes from like, it comes from theatre and it comes from being a little bratty kid who didn't get enough attention when she wanted it. Um, that when I have a soapbox, I want to use it. And I care so much about the way people move through the world. And I really just want them to listen to me. <laughs> and so <laughs> if I can just use my stories and make them laugh so they trust me and then sing like a motherfucker so that they love me, then maybe they'll come around to my way of thinking on this particular thing. You know, with Average Bear, it's about like enjoying the small things because you don't know how long you have. You genuinely just don't know. And yeah. also if somebody has lost some, like if somebody hasn't lost anything and they are taking themselves too seriously, it's fine because they will lose things. So just let them be like, let dickheads be dickheads, bless them. It's wonderful that we have dickheads because it means they haven't experienced pain yet. And I think that's, I really care about that. And, you know, I have this whole, <laughs> my main thing about my main philosophy, I always say toot toot, which this is going to sound insane, but if, if someone cuts you off in traffic instead of, you know, we the whole assume that they're on the way to the hospital thing. And I always yep. say toot toot. Like if somebody toot, like aggressively will blow the horn at me, stick their finger up at me. If somebody yells at me, I always say out loud, oh, toot toot and sort of wave politely because it makes me feel better about the world. And I just, I don't want people to waste their time feeling bad about the world when you could just go, oh, well, toot toot, I'll do what I can. You know, don't close your eyes, do what you can. But also, like, if you can't do anything, then toot toot, 
as you were yeah yeah i'm talking so in kind of, circles but... no no not at all not at all it's it, it's kind of it's about acceptance and self-acceptance and i suppose it is particularly relevant given the plot shall we say of average bear how much can we talk about that like i say the people who haven't seen the show yet it was a surprise to me the kind of mm-hmm. the events in that show can we talk about them I think so. I think there's enough articles and things out about it now that we can definitely talk about it. Average Bear is about losing my father really suddenly. Um, I was in a fire. I had to learn how to walk again. I learned how to walk again. Then I found out my dad had cancer. A week later, he died. Shortly after my brother got cancer and shortly after that, he died when I was in Edinburgh doing a show. Um, and so I guess, uh, you know, it, it for a comedy show, it's quite grief heavy but (laughs) what a (laughs) sentence (laughs) even by the standards of one person shows at the edinburgh festival it has it has more death than you might be anticipating yeah yeah um there was actually one more death that i just don't put in the show because i was like it's too much it's too sad it's too many things um so for balance you know i've got to cut one out no offense (laughs) you've been cut oh god but yeah (laughs) just tell me about that did that feel like just tell me about that. You had to cut someone's death out of your show to fill to you know. Does it make the boat go faster? You know what I mean. Does this? Yeah. Does me talking about this other death serve the purpose of the show? What a decision to make. When yeah. when part of you you are honouring those people by talking about them, honouring in heavy inverted commas as yeah. clowns would honour someone. Yeah. Did that was that a hard decision to make because of the emotions involved or or did you go no it's okay the best way to honor the concept and therefore everybody is to make the best show the most important thing is the feeling the feeling that the audience is left with and if if it's going to mess with the way that they might be feeling if it's going to throw that off balance then I can't I won't do that I think the the personal stuff and the emotional side of it has to be dealt with it it dealt with before you start making a show. Like I think I, I hate to see someone on stage um, and be thinking, are they going to cry? Like I really hate that. I want an audience to know that I'm okay. If I'm talking about this stuff, I've dealt with it. I'm okay. It's fine. So that I can make my best show for you because otherwise I'm just doing, I'm just getting free therapy and asking you to pay me and watch me do my therapy. And I don't think that's fair and I don't think that's interesting and I don't think it's brave. I think it's understandable, but I don't think it's good. And I think it's good to take a story when you really know it and when you're really happy with it and you you can separate it from what's, what's personal, I think, um, or distill it, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I also think if you, the danger is if someone cries on stage and that's the night the reviewers are in and they mention it, that person then might feel compelled. Oh God, that's part <laughs> yeah, of the right. show now. To, <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm already trying to recreate, as we all are, trying to recreate the, the sensation of surprise at, oh, what am I saying next? You know, like to undergo yeah. that journey. Yeah, that, that's a lot of pressure. So just to return to the, the, those elements of average bear then, the the other one that we haven't come to is the likelihood of you yourself developing cancer. Yeah, so I was told by a doctor after all of this that I have a 97% chance of developing one of these cancers. We um have a genetic thing in our family that just makes it a bit more likely, well, a lot more likely, um, which I suppose is the, the catalyst for me doing all of this and making shows and really just giving it everything I've got. And that's the reason I'll message people and ask them if I can do things because I'm not 
I don't know how much time I have. And so I am not going to sit around waiting for things to happen. How much, how much of, like, so I, I saw some of the, like, um, I can't remember where I saw this, was maybe on Instagram posts or, or something, because obviously this engenders a huge response from people. And you say in the show, at the end of that show, I'll hang around afterwards, I'll talk to you, I'll hug you. And yeah. we see some of that going on. Obviously, that's a thing that happens when you're on tour, because people want to sympathise and empathise and share their own uh, bereavements and, and what have you in a way that is I mean that's a whole other conversation again about how you kind of protect yourself while managing that because yeah. you, you know what I mean people there's an enormous outpouring of emotion and you also need to not become entangled with other people's bereavement right yes but I think there's a misunderstanding of that as an idea I mean people putting your people putting your emotions onto people the idea of you dumping on somebody and this sort of contemporary idea of like oh I'm you know I, I, I'm going through too much I can't deal with your stuff and I understand that now you need to look after yourself but I think one of the best things you can do to look after yourself is to look after other people and take the focus off yourself and go, okay, well, how is this story universal? How am I, how am I not alone? And how can I help these people? How am I helping these people rather than just feeling sorry for yourself? And I know rest is important and I, I, you know, that's something I get told all the time and I do need to learn it a little bit better, but I do really think what I get from people after shows when they share their stories with me and they stand and they'll cry in my arms and people sometimes come straight from funerals because they've been to the show before and they go, I know where I want to go now. And the show just happens to be on. And it's, it's an honor. It's, it's an absolute honor. It's, it's a dream. You know, you think about your friends that you love and if they come to you with a problem, you feel so privileged. You feel like they trust you and they've chosen you to share this. And I, I feel the same way about strangers. I think it's just so nice. And I don't know, I think it makes me feel better. And I think it gives me energy rather than takes it. And I could be kidding myself, but it's a nice and tidy lie if it is a lie. And I'm going to keep telling it to myself because it works for now. Purely from the sake of safeguarding yourself. Like I get that. And I, mm-hmm. I, I agree with you. But I also think that comedy audience members are strangers and they're members of the public and there are two distinct th- like I was like wow a female comic is saying hey come and give me a hug afterwards which yeah. is which does put you in a I mean obviously you're playing nice venues with a decent ticket price and what have you <laughs> but but also it makes me think of um a an act who has a comic who's been on the show previously who did a show uh, that related to sexual assault and they said um uh, years later, people would still stop them in the street to tell them their sexual assault story in a way that mm. is like you you kind of occupy a certain space in the public consciousness. And there is 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 there perhaps for you a risk whereby um, people still see you as the bereavement story person 10 years from now? And I go, oh, Michelle, Michelle, I haven't yet told you, but I've just seen Average Bear on, you know, online or on some platform and I, I want to share this with you. Is there a point at which you might need to protect yourself and not offer to them as much as you're currently offering? Yeah, I, I've been starting to think about this. I mean, as my career goes on and there are more people waiting after shows and it takes more hours, um, I start to think, oh, I, you know, I don't, I don't know. But then I see like David Sedaris after a show and he'll sign, he'll sign books and talk to people for three or four hours. And I think that's so generous. Yeah, and absolutely. 
I don't know. There is, I do have to protect myself. I think as a woman is probably the most important thing. That's the biggest issue because if you make yourself somebody people can open up to and mm-hmm. you are, you know, warm and feminine, I think there there can be confusion. But having Tim, my partner in my shows, I think really helps with that. And I also sure. am really, I'm not afraid to be assertive. Like I'm not afraid to be like, okay, that's, that's so much. And I, I can't help you anymore. So I really hope that you get help and thank you for sharing. Like I'm happy yeah. to, to, to stop a person, but I, I, I don't think I'll ever shut the door to people's stories. Yeah. I hope I don't. When it comes to the, um, to that 97% chance. So I was talking about the comments, the, the, the likelihood of you developing cancer. There were comments which are like, Oh my God. And there are comments which are, and you know, that's kind of, um, what's the, what's, I don't quite how to phrase this. It's, um, there are people who are like, oh, yes, but that's actually that makes you safer because now you can get tested more often and you're more likely to catch something. Do you yeah. see what I mean? So they're like that almost has a kind of a, a positive element to it as well. I suppose I'm just interested in in your audience kind of cherishing you and looking after you. I mean, it is it is an incredibly <laughs> positive thing. My my wife has uh, my wife lost a parent 10 years ago or so and dealt with it kind of the best I've ever seen anyone deal with a bereavement. Um, and I think that one of the things she says to me that I do believe, but I'm, I've, I've lost very, very few people who were very close to me. So I've been very lucky in that respect. But one of her kind of attitudes to death, I suppose, that, or an attitude that I derive from, from her attitude to death is that, like, where does all this stuff about skulls and headstones and spiderwebs, like the spookiness of death, is this sort of nonsense Whereas yeah. actually it's like there's you're someone in your life and you love them and then they are no longer in your life, but they're still there. And that's actually an incredibly powerful and positive and almost optimistic way of looking at it. Like none of us live forever. We're all here. You know, the sparrow flies in through the window and there's the chaotic party and then it flies out the other side into the darkness. And that's it for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that. And that I guess that's the message of Average Bear. And in essence, that's just the way that I have to live my life, because otherwise it would be very depressing if I thought about it any other way. It's just like, OK, well, great. I've been given this incredible gift of like a bit of a heads up and a bit of a reality check. And I can I'm not going to waste time doing silly things. I'm going to, well, I mean, I am going to waste time doing silly things, very specifically <laughs> you're gonna, on you're purpose. Gonna spend, you're going to spend time doing silly things. <laughs> That's very different. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to do things that are um, unkind. Like I'm not going to, I'm not going to invest in an argument that doesn't matter. I'm not going to worry too much about things that really don't matter like I I think it's nice and I do I do have a heads up like I do have more access to testing and I do have an amazing team of medical professionals who will look after me so hopefully I'll be okay but if I'm not then at least my time here will have been well spent and good and I will have gone for walks and patted dogs and made people laugh and you know made heaps of stupid mistakes and that's that's good that's great. That's great. Let's talk about the writing. Let's talk about the writing of um, of how is it over that trilogy? Has your mm-hmm. writing process changed? How did you write Average Bear? What was the starting point? What were the were there physical notes? Was there sitting and type? I mean, I, I imagine with people who have a theatre background and also other people on stage, there needs to be a tangible script rather yes. than, hey, I get out there and say what's on my mind kind of approach. Tell, <laughs> tell, me, tell me about that the, the writing process for Average Bear, which I, I've realised now I've been assuming is your first stand-up show. 
Well, it sort of was. I So I had a show before Average Bear called Space Tortoise that I wrote when my dad died. Um, okay. it, was a, it was like a character show about a tortoise um, who wants to go to space and she gets tricked into thinking that she's going, but then they never show up. The rocket never shows up to take her because she has a, a father who was the first tortoise that went into space and she hasn't heard from him since. So she assumes that he's having the best time because he haven't had he hasn't had any time to text or call. So she wants to go to space to show him how tall she's gotten. Um, and yeah, there's oh a my cool God, I'm tearing up her. now. That's the most beautiful yeah. <laughs> story about a tortoise. <laughs> yeah, it's very sweet. It's very silly. Um, but yeah, so that was my first solo show. Um, and I wrote that when I was mostly just doing sketch. And so it was full of like covers, I guess. It was kind of a traditional sort of parody um kind of parody song kind of cabaret thing but it was I mean I wasn't doing parody songs I was doing I was doing covers and I wrote maybe two of it two originals and yeah just this little play with like voiceovers playing the other actors and this poor tortoise and her name was Eric and she worked in retail and she just wanted to find her dad but then she decided it was okay because she'd made all these friends in the audience um, who had her back. It was very silly, um, but it was lovely. But, you know, Average Bear was the first one I, I wrote taking seriously when I knew people would um, come. Because <laughs> Space <laughs> Daughters I wrote on a plane to Edinburgh and I put it on it. It was at 12.30 at night um, in the turret at Gilded Balloon. Ah, okay. That's yeah. uh, that's a tiny room at a difficult time <laughs> for, yes, a, for a yes. meaningful show. Okay. Yes. So, so, well then, so just to come back to my question about the writing. So with the writing of Average Bear, at what point in the writing of that did you think this is, this is the big one? This is the big arrival show? For a while, I knew I wanted to do a big arrival show. I wanted to do something that was like, I want to talk about something that's that means something to me. I want to show that I have these kind of, I guess, acting chops or theater chops or that I'm a bit of a poet in a public school. Like I want to say something and I want to say something more than just like the sketch that I'm doing, um, which is funny because now I'm just craving just more and more silly sketching characters and I'm sick of <laughs> saying serious things. I'm so, it's so boring now. But for a while I was like, oh, I've got more in me. And then I decided that this was an interesting story because whenever I told it, people thought it was interesting. And I'd do a few storytelling nights and I'd write 10 minutes for that storytelling night and people would be moved by that. So I'd keep that 10 minutes and go, okay, that's interesting. I'll keep that. And then separately to that, I had a few songs that I'd written that were just comedy songs because I had to write a solo set and I didn't have a solo set because uh, Auntie Donna and I were doing our, um, we did an album together and we were doing the album tour um, with a full band and it was amazing. It was so fun, but I was doing doing one of the opening sets as well as in the show and I went oh 20 minutes I don't have 20 I don't have five minutes you know I don't have anything I just have space tortoise and then sketches with other people so I guess I wrote some songs for that and then I put them in together so Average Bear was one of those fir those first show things where you're like I've got so much to say and I've got so much stuff so here it is and it, it came together really easily and then editing it um, was you know went through it with a fine tooth comb with all my very very smart friends um but yeah I, I typed it as a script and but I also you know I do the writing things in cards and and moving them around on a wall and you know trying to solve the mystery things so are we just thank you are we do I understand that your kind of your open mics as a solo stand-up were 20 minutes in front of a baying auntie donna audience yes Yes, yeah. tell me about that. Because yeah. that, we, well, I mean, we've not really touched on Auntie Donna. I definitely sort of want to establish you as a creative in your own right. But you, <laughs> you for the rest of your life will have people commenting one of the boys under yeah. everything you ever do on YouTube. 
Yeah. Because because yeah. Auntie Donna is this kind of juggernaut of um, a carnage, really. <laughs> kind of like really fun, upbeat carnage in which you played some really really key roles. And I think one of the one of the things you are skillfully navigating is making sure that you're not simply in the undertow of Auntie Donna for the rest of your career, which, yeah. you know, was probably an option. Or I don't know about the kind of the, 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 kind of the relationships there, but, um, you know what I mean, you can do pretty well from being the chick from Auntie Donna for a while, yeah. which you're definitely not. So tell me, about the, tell me about the origin of working with them. And let's just do, let's just do a little Auntie Donna chapter on the way to finding out those, um, those kind of open mic things. When, what was the yeah. first thing you take with them? The thing, the first thing I ever did with Donna was uh, a girlfriend's rumbly tummy, and I played Zach's girlfriend, um, and I was I wanted chippies, and that was the <laughs> that was the concept. <laughs> and I just felt like I knew the voice, but you know, I I I think I got on board the train before I knew how fast it was going. Um, and I was just doing my little comedy and they were doing their little comedy. And I didn't know what YouTube was really. I didn't know. I'm not a very online person, so I didn't really quite understand how well they were doing. Um, or maybe they weren't at that time. I don't even really know when it all kicked off for them, but they were just my friends and they were funny and we worked together and then we loved each other and, you know, we played really well, you know, when you play really well and you just make each other laugh and no matter what's on the script, you always come up with something better in the room because you're, you're just so funny together we just had that immediately and I think just have ever since and we just have a really implicit trust in each other like I mean Max the director is I think one of the best directors in the world like he's incredible and he's also so trusting like he just he trusts me he just will just let me run he'll be like this is what the script says but do whatever you want we we trust you and I think that made me believe in myself because I was a woman amongst men Mm-hmm. Um, and I wasn't a woman who was Michelle Brazier. I was a woman who was, I'm do I'm, I'm the girl from Auntie Donna. You know, I was just mm-hmm. the girl and I was able to make a lot of big choices and stupid offers and they were so encouraging and they still are. And I think, yeah, I think they made it really clear that I deserved the platform that they built for me. And so I, I took it, but I might not have taken it if they hadn't been so kind. Oh, that's so healthy. Everything you just said is just, that's like the epitome of a creatively healthy environment. Yeah, it's really nice. It's so great, particularly because you're then able to, with sketches like, um, you know, One of the Boys... That, which yeah. is which I would urge anyone to watch on YouTube if they've not seen that. It's you coming in making loads and loads of offers, I guess, about like the extent to which you as a woman are prepared to divest yourself of <laughs> femininity in order to get on with them. And then the yeah. crux of it is that moment of seeing you back outside the door, having come in through the door 20 times, <laughs> seeing you kind of coping with the ramifications of the decisions you've made. And, yeah. and so it, like, what I love about that sketch is it, it's a completely... It's almost like watching, you know, like a Monty Python type sketch where you go, oh, classic sketch here. This is just funny, 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 funny. But woof, actual platform of, you know, it's built on a bedrock of actual meaning and observation. Yeah, so like, it's a lot with... of girls' favourite. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> and similarly, I saw one which I, I don't know how it originated, but Feminism Cute. The, the, oh I, yeah, I, I saw as well. So tell tell me about that. Was that, that that's not a Donna related project? Was that you no. separately going? Hey, I've got to get on board this making high quality YouTube videos with tons of punchlines. So that was my first ever TV gig. 
I got offered this, there was this TV show, it was called The Slot. And it was like, they just got all these like up and coming sort of creators that were doing well online to, they gave us money to make sketches and they let you choose your own producer and your own director and things like that and write your own scripts. And then they just sort of shoved it all together in a show that I suppose wasn't really cohesive in any way, but it was a great opportunity for me. And I, I just, I, yeah, that's the first sketch I wrote for myself. And I put a lot of my funny girlfriends in it, you know, um, Mish Wittrup, who also works with Auntie Donna and she's hilarious. And I think Tim makes a small appearance and Demi Lardner. And yeah, it was just really fun and silly. But yeah, that was the first thing that I ever did by myself. And I was like, okay, all right, here I go. Like, it was very scary. Yes. Yes. Oh, it's a great, it's a really good laugh out loud, funny sketch that again, has that kind of like, elements of it have that kind of carnage feel to it like ah this is all mad you know what I mean like that yeah. kind of Donna was that pre or post Donna you making that uh I think it was it was post yeah I'd already started working with them the reason I think they liked me and started working with me was because I had this uh comedy duo called Backwards Anorak and we were absolute carnage as well so it was just <laughs> it was real we went to the same uni and we all just came out these little rat dogs and there's another group called um Hot Department and they're the same they're really just yucky little like <laughs> naughty little chaos demons and that's just kind of like how we came up and and we love it like you know we, we just like we like each other we like silly silly billies Yes. What was that? That I mean, I'm interested in that kind of shared origin because you do have what I think of as like a year at school. Like, a, but you know, sometimes in schools, there's just like, oh, that class are fucked. Do you know what I mean? There's yeah, just yeah. something about them. <laughs> and it sounds like you had that literally, you know, metaphorically and literally like a group all going to the same college together. Yeah. Do you know what the component elements of that were? Was it just people's natural predisposition to say yes? Do you know what I mean? In the way that you can be trained in improv, oh, yes, and. Or you can just kind of know that that's a, that's a good way to be. I think we all knew that it was fun to say, you know, to be silly and to say yes. But we also, the most important thing, in my opinion, this is just me speaking for myself, but I feel like we were drama school rejects. We got into drama school, but we didn't take it seriously enough. And when we did take it seriously enough, we weren't taking it seriously in the right way. Like we just weren't quite what they wanted us to be. We felt like disappointments, like the naughty kids. Um, even though we weren't, we weren't being naughty. We we're trying our best. We really all wanted to be very serious actors. Um, but then we were just, we were just funny. We just were all funny together. And then we made fun of the situation that we were in, which was that we were kind of not as good as our teachers wanted us to be, or not as um, Shakespearean, I suppose, as our, as our teachers wanted us to be. Yeah, I'm interested in that. There's something like really disruptive in a good way it's like how do you know at the time that you should back yourself to continue disrupting the the education that you're supposed to be there for do you know what I mean like yeah. like there's I think that's a really interesting like that's a bigger wider question in life like I remember being when I was oh god like 20 years ago I was at circus school for a year and there was a, a kind of there was a couple of people who were told repeatedly look stop fucking about you know, stop, stop getting tattoos, get rid of that haircut. We're all trying to be neutral bodies and then we'll build on that. You know, we're going to break you down and then build you up. Not realising that years later, no, no, they just continued going hard the entire time. And now they're all stratospherically successful because yeah. actually what the world wanted was people who were going to what the world turned out, what the world turned out to want was people who were just going to completely commit to themselves rather yeah. than people who could, oh, I'm a neutral body, I can do anything, I can play any role. It's like, no, we just want people to lean the fuck into going, nope, this is me and I'm doing it really hard. 
Yeah, I think people. I think the world likes offers, and I think we we're all very strong offers as people, and so <laughs> we just went for it. It's nice. As you said, it's all about offers. The 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 way that Donna work is basically the sketch just provides an opportunity for multiple offers. Like the the offers are far more important than the structure or the plot or the the rhythm. Like the the whole rhythm is about like here's another offer, here's another offer. So in Big Old House of Fun on Netflix, when you are in and um, when you're doing the the sports doctor, which one is it? There was one that was the original yeah. sketch, and then there's the one the Netflix. School nurse is the original. School and, nurse uh, is the sports original. Sports doctor is is Netflix. And that like that that's a case in point. It's just like the boys just turn up and offer you loads of stuff, and you just offer reactions, and yeah. that like that's part of I'm sure there's the reason for its success is that there's nothing in between. It's almost like breakbeat. Do you know what I mean? It's like you go, oh, yeah. what's the bit they dance at? We'll just do that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like what what's the bit what's the bit that makes them cackle? We'll just do that and fuck off all the hello, how can I help you? You know, all yeah. of the interstitial stuff that would tie a sketch together. Just like, no, it's just all the offers. Yeah. I, well, that wasn't a question, and you're right not to attempt to answer it. But <laughs> <laughs> well, I agree with you. Yeah, I think that I think the pace is the pace and the rhythm is really important and um yeah, everyone just everyone just being as silly as they can and then the edit just being as high octane and silly as it can be is a real treat. What do you think is the relationship between that style of working and the deeply philosophical about to get ripped <laughs> by Liz Kingsman style of show that you have? You know, like what what's the relationship between those kind of those kind of styles? If it's all about the offers and it's this kind of fucked drama school reject thing, do you feel like you are kind of translating that energy or that kind of insight or that direction into your solo shows or yeah, is it a I think whole rhythmically, thing? yeah, yeah I, it's, it feels like a different thing but ultimately that's where I've come from that's who I am and so rhythmic, rhythmically I'm always going to be really fast um, my offers are always going to be absurd my jokes are always going to be absurd um, and I'm always going to take you to that place, I think, of just a little weird. There's always going to be a little weird bit in the show where I get carried away and do something weird and you get to have that thing that you wanted from Michelle, the girl from Auntie Donna, because that's why you came, because you deserve that, because you bought a ticket. And I am happy to give that to you. But also, I like being there and I like going, hey, here's something that I really believe in and really care about. Also, wouldn't it be fucked if there were dogs fucking in the park and then one of the dogs could have an accent and that would be very silly. Just like, I just want to, I want to, come to both of those places and say they're both really valid and they both live together and we don't need to do one or the other and I hope I hope that's what will help me get through Liz Kingsman's show and not feel like a cockhead I hope it's a saving grace but maybe it's a safety blanket I don't know yes great so let's just talk about just coming back to your solo shows the um the gag density because there is such speed to them whether it's the songs, which I do like, you know, if I think of the Red Flag song from uh, Reform, yeah. there's Jesus Christ, you're like Bo Burnham with your punchlines. Do you know what I mean? You're just going like every <laughs> half of every line in this, the first half of that line and the second half of that line. It's not a list, but it's like we've got the premise, punchline, 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 punchline. <laughs> like in a way that I can't remember them. I just feel a bit punch drunk from them. So, oh wow! Yeah, mate, it's it's so good. So so that kind of style of like, like there is a link there, I guess, in in the writing is like multiple offers. How do you? What's the question? How do you kind of um, are those written 
in are those songs is that song was that song written in one go or was that song written in one go and then every time you thought of a potential joke to wedge in there you just come back to it and continue hammering jokes in yes so it was written in one go it's, it came to me I was sitting on the couch and I was I just sort of started humming it and then I started writing it as a list of punchlines um and then I called my friends Annie and Lena who have a song called the red flag red flag twist and I was like have I stolen your idea is this different they're like it's different I was like great okay great and then I kept (laughs) writing the song and then I just kept coming back and um yeah just punching it up I work with my friend Jill Cosgriff who's incredible she directed Average Bear she's an incredible uh songwriter and pianist and musician and and comedian and so she went through and she she's just so honest and great with me her and Sam Lingham from Auntie Donna are probably my most honest collaborators who will sit with me they're the only people who sit with me and go you can do better than that. That's funny, but it could be funnier. You're being too broad here. You don't have to. You're not on Channel 10. It's fine. Get that off. Like, get something funnier here. Like, they're really helpful and good. And so, yeah, I'll come with a skeleton and something that's good. And then, that, yeah, I get get people to help me um, not get away with being easy. Yes. Okay. Can you give me an example of an easy joke that they'd have given you permission to cut? Oh, um, you know, like what did you, or was was that ever difficult that you were like, no, 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 this is, this is good. And they're like, nah, like what was, what's been hard to let go of? Um, so there's one where I make a a joke about this is going to be difficult, um, culturally, but in Australia, there's this guy that I make fun of in red flag, um, who's called Scott Pape. He's the barefoot investor and he's famous in Australia for being this, like, he's a larrikin and he's made a million bucks and he doesn't wear any shoes. And there's a line in it that's like, um, about the guy who scammed me and I talk about how he's with the bank that this man recommends and the line is um the barefoot investor is the one that suggests it and he wouldn't lie to me and it used to be he wouldn't lie to me not a white man named Scott and my friend Jill was like <laughs> she's like you don't need that like it's not necessary we know what he is we don't need another woman on stage talking about white men and you know that and you don't need to do it leave it and so I left it and it's now now there's a lovely gap for laughs where there wouldn't have been where it would have been split there would have been people going ha 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 oh ha 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 and instead it's like a really big laugh she's just really good at that great thank you great example um, yeah. <laughs> one of one of the one of the lines I wrote down at the time from Reform because it was it, it was one of those super fast kind of whizzing through it. But it was um, he didn't believe in labels, but he never he met he met another woman and learned about labels. And we stand our learning king. And I yeah. think that, that's so like that, that's what I mean. It's such a dense joke. Like he didn't believe in labels is the observation. Mm. Uh, but he met another woman and learned about labels. And you could have left it there. But we stand our learning king is also and it's kind of inflected with the kind of contemporary language standing people and so on but um <laughs> but and, and learning king you know what i mean it's just it's so dense it's like boom 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 boom, boom like that which i <laughs> i don't know again it's not a question great work michelle brazier i loved it <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much it's very very kind i have been very deeply insecure about my joke writing abilities so this is this couldn't have come at a better time what is your favorite joke of another comics someone in your someone in your genre like a favorite joke that you're like or a favorite bit that you're like fuck i wish i'd come up with that Okay, my favourite joke at the moment is in Britannic's most recent show where Nick is working at a a short-term memory clinic and he keeps forgetting things and Bri keeps forgetting things and then he stands up and he goes, I don't want to work here anymore, it's too silly! And it was just one of the most joyous things I've seen on stage. (laughs) It was like, that's the end of the sketch. It was just gorgeous and really funny and like 
yeah, very, very silly. I loved it. Lovely. If you have one quality which got you where you are, besides your performing and writing ability, like out of this, out of the sphere of performance comedy skills, what would that be? I'm not afraid to ask for things. Can you tell me an example of a mistake that you made that was treated with reverence as if it was a deliberate decision? Um, oh my gosh. I feel like I've made so many mistakes on stage that people thought were brilliant that then I kept and repeated. Like things like either falling down or like getting confused about forgetting lyrics or singing the wrong lyrics. I think I've made a career off mistakes that people thought were brilliant. Can you tell us a time when you were left with no response? I won't say whose show, but I saw someone's show in the last year and I considered them to be someone that like I would get along with and that, you know, they were fine. And I went to see the show um, and I found it to be really sexist and I don't think I'm very sensitive and I found it really sexist and afterwards they asked me what what I thought and I I couldn't lie and I couldn't tell the truth and I I just sort of walked away and I, I haven't spoken to the person. I didn't rudely walk away. I went, ah, and just sort of disappeared. And then I, I don't know if I, I might have to fake my death um, rather than have a conversation about it. <laughs> <laughs> what great idea did you try once and never again? Oh, <laughs> um, my, my comedy partner, Laura, and I, we, in our double denim show, we tried to do like a parody of, of a show um sorry a parody of a song about boats that we'd sort of written and it was it went it went for seven minutes and we didn't realize it had, it it had blown out to seven minutes and we did it for an audience in Adelaide during the day and they hated it so much and we'll just never touch it again but I I'll never forget it sometimes it just pops into my head like a little demon <laughs> um what over the course of your comedy career what have you come to believe about yourself I believe I'm lucky in terms of my career, but also in terms of like, I'm okay when I'm bomb and I'm okay. No, not no matter what, but I'm resilient and I'm lucky that I'm resilient because I've seen it really hurt people. Just the process of just having to make a show can hurt you and reviews can hurt you. And I think I'm really lucky that, I have enough padding that I'm all right. Can anyone else be taught to get that kind of padding? Can you teach that resilience? I'm trying. <laughs> I'm trying in my shows. I'm trying. I think it's perspective. I think it's about perspective. But I also think like I was just so lucky as a kid. And my parents made me believe that I deserved things to be nice um, and that the world was really genuinely a good place. And so I really believe that. I believe everyone is good. Everyone. And people do bad things, but I think people are good. And because of that, I'm always able to chuck on a pair of rose-tinted glasses. And I think maybe you need that in your formative years, or maybe you don't. Maybe you need a big loss for perspective. But I reckon reckon you can definitely practice it and learn it. I think that's what cognitive behavioural therapy maybe is. I don't know. Great, thank you. Last question. Are you happy? I'm so happy. Yeah, I'm really happy. I reckon I'm one of the happiest comedians. It's unreasonable how happy I am. 
Thanks, Michelle. Thank you. <laughs> Fantastic stuff there from Michelle Brazier. Thank you so much to her for being so uh, kind of all of the things I like. Thoughtful, candid, upbeat, energising, brilliant answer to Are You Happy? Um, and uh, I'm really, I just enjoyed that episode so much, so much. I, and I recorded this on a Monday morning, which is very unlike me. And I'm going to start doing that more because I feel like it set the tone for my week. So thanks to Michelle for that. Thank you for listening and for sharing the show and reviewing it, liking, commenting, subscribing and all of those things that you feel. Whatever you normally do to a thing you like, share it with your best mate, write a review, post it somewhere whatever just whatever that one is for you just plug that into this because it's been ages since i've done a, a drive for that and as i whiffle off becoming increasingly niche with this show and it and i've really reduced the audience down to two people a podcast fan w- called will who has a beard and wears glasses and probably works in a library and the hungry young comedian of tomorrow but that, that, you're the niche audience and i'm whittling it right down to you will and you unnamed uh, and ungendered comedian um so, which is not to say that if you're a non-performer, you don't work in a library and you are not a man called Will, you are unwelcome. I was simply making a point about whittling down the audience. What I'm trying to do is weaponize and not stop throwing around the word weaponize. What I'm trying to do is make a virtue of. That does not mean the same as weaponize. That's just lazy to say. I'm trying to make a virtue of the fact that in a very crowded podcast field, marketplace, market field, um, I am trying to lean into the fact that this show is niche and specialised. And as a result, of course, it isn't number one anywhere, nor should it be. It would be a worrying world indeed if (laughs) substantial arena filling numbers of people wanted to get this deep into the granularity of comedy. That would be awful. That That is not a, word, a world I want to live in. Right. Um, I've sort of begun post-ambling at you already, but let's officially tie things up. And then I've got a specific question for you. Thank you to Michelle. Thanks to producer Nathan. Lots of love to Moz, who didn't log this episode, but not for the want of trying. And the music was by Rob Smouten. That's all of the thanks. Next week, who should we have? I mean, it's either going to be John Hastings or... It's going to be someone, I think it should probably be something from someone from South by, probably Steve Agee. Let's go with Steve Agee. So you've got between listening to this and whenever you listen to the next episode to catch yourself up on not only the movie The Suicide Squad, which is brilliant, but also the series Peacemaker, in which Steve Agee has an excellent role. And what you need to do, because I don't want to spoil the show for you, is watch all six episodes of that, right? So a bit of homework, get your skates on. I'll post Amble at you in a second. Bye for now. Was that too <laughs> was that too business like? I'll do this. Lots of love. Goodbye. Um here is the post amble then, f- fans of ambling. Um ambling fan amblers. Of course you're amblers. Like being a rambler, but an ambler. Okay, amblers. Um couple of questions. Should I do I had an idea right, one of the fuck here now. One of the things about me is that one of the best Things that you I'll begin this sentence any second, you wait. One of the most useful things that you can say to me is sure, that's a great idea, but you don't need to do it just now, right? Lots and lots of ideas. I'm not mentioning the thing, I'm just saying. Um I have lots and lots of ideas. And one of the great things about my management, Chambers Management, which who I've been with for a solid wedge of years now, is that they've always been very, very good at saying to me. That's great. You don't need to do that right now. 
oh yeah don't do it like i feel like their role in many ways is to sort of rugby tackle me <laughs> and stop me beginning six other things um and they do it very well so i'm going to try and foist that onto you do you think this is a good idea this is a shower thought i had this morning and i've got another one as well which is probably a good idea that i'll also need your help with but this one because as I turn into, as I have been turning into a speaker and all of this, you know, all of all of the, the weird kind of niche that I've created for myself in which I'm a sort of interpreter of insights about comedy from this podcast to my own experience and applier of those insights to other things in life. Right. I don't want to tell you too much about Project X right now, but um, that's increasingly a thing that I do. Right. I, I'm sort of like a. <laughs> like a panhandler is that what they're called people that would shake gold in a little riddle and um and the, it is called a riddle and uh, and they would get little bits of gold and, and go there we go that's all oh, that's good and then i don't know what the equivalent is in this creaky metaphor display it somewhere um increasingly that's what i do right as well as writing the stuff and writing about the stuff and speaking about the stuff i also i noticed myself in this episode making little notes i'll tell you what they were um oh some of these might be in the extras but um main character syndrome thinking she's tricking people the fraud cycle her evidence log all of these things i'm just that's my new jam right and i don't want to kind of widen it so far that it's kind of broadly wellness and personal development but obviously that's what I've been looking for. The whole of the podcast is kind of searching for how do you cope specifically? How do you cope? How can I cope? How can other people cope with all of these things? And I'm very much entrenched in that world at the moment. And part of me was thinking in the shower this morning, this is what are we now? It's four minutes in and I'm about to ask you the question I was about to ask. It occurs to me that there could be another podcast feed that is just those bits, Right. Is that sensible? It's another bit of work, but um, I could find the time or the people power. Um, it would be quite fun, wouldn't it? Would it be would it be quite fun? Would it be fun if there was like ComCom pod, just the insights? Would you all start listening to that instead? It just occurs to me like I've been doing a show which is often or an interview, which is often 90 minutes plus long. I then cut bits out for the extras, but everything else I leave in there. That's I feel like I've earned the right to do that. I saw an advert over the weekend which was like, how to make your podcast good. You know, resources for podcasters. How to make your podcast good and not just two people having a long conversation, you bunch of wankers sort of thing. Fair enough. I feel like I've earned the right. I've been doing it long enough. I've earned the right to just have a long conversation. But also... How would I engage with this? Sometimes I would listen to a long conversation. Sometimes, though, I'm a bit of a flick through person and it might benefit me to go, oh, look, given that I've got all of these just hours and hours of stuff and I'm because of Project X, I'm kind of taking bits of it and relooking at them again and what have you. Would it be sensible? Is it sensible or is it is it something which I need rugby tackled to the ground about <laughs> the ground about in, in order um would it be sensible to have a, a whole podcast feed which was called Comedy Insights or ComComPod Insights or something, you know, named TBC, whereby you could go, here we go, here's a little blast, a daily blast of six minutes of the thing. That's a good idea, isn't it? Is it? Or is it just more work? I, I think what I was trying to say was I, I, I think about this show and I think about 
I've always had the option to go, oh, there we go. I just taped a great 90 minutes with Michelle. Now, part of what I like about it is I want to go, that's the whole chat we had, because during it, I manoeuvred around and noticed things. Perhaps you noticed them and thought, I hope Stu asks about that. And then I do. And that's satisfying. And there's a journey and a sort of a narrative to it. Equally, I could always have taken that 90 minutes of whoever and gone, Oh, well, that's it's that five and that ten and that fifteen. Bang, there we are. That's the thing. But then this is practically an episode again, isn't it? Chasing my tail here. Well, that's one question. So get in the Facebook group and tell me about that. I said this last time and I stand by it. I've always been inviting people to email me, but now I regularly have to deal with 50 emails a day, not just from you, but just in life. I'm trying to de-administrate my life, de-adminify my life a bit. So what I'm going to try and do from now on is ask you to jump in the ComCom Facebook group. If you are going to join it, bear with me because I only once a week delve in there and add all the people who've just joined sometimes sooner than that but I I try and do minimum once a week um but I go there's so many scammers online pretending to be Facebook humans and for this system to it you need to be in Facebook as well he wants to be in that ecosystem these days Christ um we'll have to lump that I'm not starting a discord I cannot handle yet another online community um but I'm trying to direct you for answering questions and suggesting things to go to the the ComCom Facebook group. When you join it, you have to answer security questions. Please bother answering them because there's so many fake profiles out there. I just if anyone hasn't answered all of the questions, I just automatically decline them. Also, you can't join it if you are representing a page or a group. It has to be your individual profile. If you actually bother answering the questions, you don't need to be hilarious, but even if the answers are, I don't know what you're talking about, then that shows me that you're not just a scammer. Get in there and I'm going to try punting questions to you. And here's the second question for today's postamble. Can you see I wrote two bullet points? Good, isn't it? Still all over the place. The second question is merch, right? I want to do some merch for Edinburgh this year because I like merch. I like having a tangible thing. I like buying merch from other people and I also like an income. The show is explicitly about the climate crisis at this stage it may well it may one day no it's explicitly about climate resilience it may that doesn't sound like oh no i can't say climate resilience because i spoke to an actual climate person and they said no climate resilience means something specific what it is is what it's about can you bear with me while i look this up it won't take long um that 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 that. it was that conversation and it's the i remember it being the end of that conversation um uh, climate resilience is about making sure that you're accounting for climate risk. And that isn't what I'm doing. What I'm doing is personal sustainability, sort of. None of this stuff makes you come and see an, Ed- an Edinburgh show or a comedy show. But my point is the show is about recognising that the climate crisis terrifies me and that it kind of kicks me down a well in my mind. And then I have to climb out of the well. So the show is about all the things that kick me down the well and all the ways I climb out. That sounds more like a comedy show. Thank God. I've just note to self, stop saying climate resilience. But um, to return to my initial question, I don't want to sell merch that's physical things that have an impact. Or, I mean, it would be fun to... I could sell lumps of coal. <laughs> I could sell... I, oh, that's the idea. I'm going to sell a lump of coal that you have to promise not to ever burn. <laughs> to deactivate coal by turning it into merch oh well there we go i mean i was going to sort of um, ask for your suggestions for t-shirts but no i've nailed it there we go we're going to put a load of coal beyond use take this piece of coal home and never burn it i mean i mean it's funny is it annoying it's quite annoying but in quite a funny way maybe i'll do that basically 
as soon as 10 people get in touch with me and say this is a great idea <laughs> i'll edit it out of the podcast uh, out of the feed going forwards um such that uh i maintain the specialness of the joke maybe so if you're hearing this sometime in the future not enough people like the idea Great. That'll do me. Bye for now. There's some crackers coming up soon. I did a lovely uh, episode with Lucy Beaumont. That's hopefully coming out soon. Ignacio Lopez, fantastic one. We've got John Hastings Returns. We've got the other three from South By and more to come this week. So we're back in gear. Thank you for listening. Speak to you soon. Go away. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.